Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe as camp rolls along for the Texas Longhorns as we sit here and record this podcast. We are 25 days away from Texas opening the 2019 season under Tom Herman at home against Louisiana Tech. Maybe at the time you're listening, it's 24 or 23 or hell, maybe you're 17. You're getting this next week. I don't know, but hopefully this podcast finds you in a good place and we can give you some Longhorn football before we get on. With the proceedings, a couple of quick notes. First off, thanks to everybody who has reviewed this podcast, rated us on Apple Podcast, uh, Google Play, the Android Store, Stitcher, however you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for your support. Please don't forget to leave us those reviews, rate us. Again, five stars would be preferable, but the feedback has been wonderful so far, and that's how we keep this podcast going. It's going to be a shorter episode in terms of the classic episode of The Blitz this week because Mike Roach is under the weather, so... Uh, Mike went to the doctor on Monday. Uh, nothing serious, just needs to you know take it easy for a couple of days. So I uh, definitely want him to get better. So maybe we'll come with a late podcast later this week. Maybe we'll just shelve it till next week. That's going to depend on uh, on Mike's situation, but we'll keep you updated on all that. If you missed it, if you go to the Blitz feed, we had a special podcast, a special edition, kind of quick 40-minute hitter on uh, the John Robinson commitment, broke that down from a number of different angles. So if you – if you need to get uh, some more juice on the latest com- verbal commitment for the Texas Longhorns in the class of 2020, a five-star running back. And if you look at the history of the 24-7 sports composite rankings, which go back to 2000, there have only been two other running backs in the industry rated higher than Bajon Robinson, hmm. Jonathan Graham, Malcolm Brown. So that's higher than Jamal Charles and Cedric Benson, yada, yada, wow. yada, you name it. So that's how good of a prospect Bajon Robinson is. So get to the Blitz feed and get all that. So without further ado... Let's move along with the proceedings on this week's show. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing well. Yourself? I am wonderful. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz, and he is a renaissance man, not just here on the Blitz, but on the Horn, 1049-1019-AM-1260, streaming on the Horn app and on hornfm.com, or you can get him on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-America, 2002 semifinalist, for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. He's played his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whatever that T-ring gets back in his possession, he will wear it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor, that's officially recognized by the NCAA, by the way. You are a <laughs> black card member. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. And Thanks for the intro, brother. Hey, Rod, give me that stat again about Bajan Robinson. That's a damn good stat. Yeah, in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, which start you know industry-wide in the year 2000, only Jonathan Gray and Malcolm Brown have been higher-rated running backs than him. That have uh, 
for, with Texas or just here? with Texas, yes, with Texas that yes. have actually verbally committed to Texas, or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. and for those guys that would be signed, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, it will. We, the commitment stuck all the way to the there. End. You go, and we assume we're gonna think positive that this one will stick all the way through yes. too. That's a that's pretty. Man, that's, that's still pretty mind blowing, actually. I think it's blue the great running backs I mean, that ben, Texas we, has had. At one I time, th- Benson was as decorated, not maybe not as high as a prospect, but when yeah. you talk about names like that or a guy that leads the NFL history of yards per rush in Jamal Charles. Like that's good company to keep. That's yeah, actually, Gray was five star, and yeah, so was Malcolm, Malcolm Brown. Brown was back to back years. And that's actually who Bajon Robinson reminds me of. Cedric Benson doesn't have the same kind of you know physicality, pop on contact that said yeah. Benson had coming out of high school. But Rod, and you know this playing with him, uh, said B just one of the more instinctive runners you've seen. Just his his ability to make guys miss. I think I got a five star. Make out. guys miss in tight quarters. I think he was kind of on that that edge. I think. Man, yeah, because I remember all the hype coming out. Like yeah. he was the best back. Oh, but he was he was a, he was a Texas schoolboy legend though, so it didn't matter yeah. if he was five. Yeah, I know, or I know, it didn't matter. But yeah. it's so weird how he didn't reach that. Well, anyway. and it was right. more that it was before the internet era of rankings. Like the first class great was O two, yeah. and that was the O one, and he was perceived. Everybody assumed he's a five star. Like we didn't anoint five stars technically, unless maybe you had a service. But like I had yeah. known the Fab Fifty Five. Yeah. The that, best player. Down, so he was at that same level. I yeah. can get you that rod as we go through here and get you where Cedric Benson was ranked. Uh, no, no, no. You don't have to. I no, because it's going to say. That status. Like, it I'll get a, it for you before you go on the air today. How about that? Because okay. it'll take me 10 seconds yeah, to, no, no, to no, look through it. here and find it. Um, so I want to end up with papers everywhere. <laughs> writing this down right <laughs> now. Repeat that. Yeah. Repeat that, por favor. <laughs> so let's start off with some camp talk, and we'll be heavy camp talk, obviously, on this show. But actually, before we do that, I want to talk camp of another variety. Just a quick hitter on the NFL. Oh, yeah. Rod, Deontay Foreman waived by your Houston Texans, picked up by the Indianapolis Colts. Break down this move because, you know, all the buzz coming out of Texans camp on Deontay Foreman, it hadn't been good. You know, Bill O'Brien had kind of some cryptic cryptic comments, Yeah, if I can talk right today. And then I was filling in here on the horn on the uh, morning show for Bucky Godbolt and Aaron Hogan, and I had John Harris from HoustonTexas.com and the Houston Texas Radio Network. And John Harris – quickly changed the conversation. We asked about Deontay Foreman, quickly changed it to, like, the good camp Charles Amena who's having it. So I was like, well, uh, <laughs> no, it really that doesn't uh, so that really bode right. well for Pitting. Deontay Foreman. I heard Foreman. that interview, and it was like, wow, okay. Yeah, just well, let me not take a other guy. guy. The one you guys should be worried about and should be concerned about is Charles Amena. He's great. He's yeah, so, uh, Rod, just yeah. they cited back wor- bad uh, – I can't talk today – bad work habits, really not being a professional with some of the stuff you heard about Deontay Foreman. and. Uh, you know, John McClain and Aaron Wilson, the guys at the Chronicle, kind of reported that their sources were telling them that maybe the best thing for Deontay Foreman was get a fresh start somewhere other than the city of Houston. Makes and sense. I, I've actually on another morning show shift the, after the Monday after he was released on Monday, you know, we we're talking about what's a good spot for him. And I know Cowboys fans are like saying, oh, maybe the Cowboys should pick up all the Zeke Elliott stuff. And I said, look. I don't study depth charts in the NFL, but I do know the Indianapolis Colts. You know, Chris Ballard, the GM's a Texas City guy. I know there's a lot of interest there in the draft process. If you're talking about him getting away but having some familiarity, maybe that's probably the best fit for him. And the Colts and have needed one for a decade. Yeah. Sure enough, the Colts picked him up on the waiver wire. Yeah, uh, Colts need a running back. I mean, just need depth at running back. I'm with you. I think it would be good for him to get away from home, to get away from, from Houston, get away from Texas. I bet. And you know, and land with Aaron, Andrew Luck. Like, well, well good. Yeah, besides that, I think more what matters, what should matter to him is that it's one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Oh, yeah. sort of Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is great. Uh, but for him, he's going to be able to play behind one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Truth is, here at Texas, 
The guy ran for 2,000 yards behind a, a below-average offensive line. And no did, quarterback. And, and behind, and it, with the Texans, I mean, you have the worst offensive line, arguably, in the NFL. So I do think he has a chance to go there and shine. I think he's got a ton of talent. Not sure what happened with the Texans. We don't really know. They were very vague. They weren't very specific. The truth is, during the, during the offseason, they were really complimentary of how hard he was working, that he was up there all the time. And even John Harris and Bill O'Brien both remarked at how well they thought he was coming off yeah. the injury. And then, literally, when camp starts within 48 hours, 72 hours of camp starting, you know, they start – the reports start coming out that, ah, oh, man, they're not really high on – you know, they're not high on Deontay Foreman. And then the, the media asked him, hey, who, who's what's the running back depth looking like after Lamar Miller and Deontay Foreman? And he says, well, after Lamar Miller, and we it, 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 they're battling it out. And everybody was like, whoa, okay. Well, mm-hmm. you're going out of your way not to mention Deontay Foreman and something's going on. And then I think within, I don't know, a few days of that remark, we heard the news that he was, he yeah. was cut, which also shocked everybody because – they didn't plan on this because they didn't draft a running back. Right. And you go look at all the guys they have behind Deontay Foreman. I don't have the list in front of me right now. but Karan Higdon's the only name that a, I've heard of. Man, it's Josh Ferguson. I mean, it's a list of Jags. I mm. mean, they're just guys. And Lamar Miller's even aging. So I think they should go trade for Duke Johnson. I would go. That would make yeah. that my top priority. I'll trade for him right now. Yeah, and he's on a contract <laughs> through 2021, and he's relatively cheap. If I was the Cowboys, Hell, I would trade for Duke Johnson. Lamar Miller at Miami in college. Yeah, I like, would, Duke Johnson dude, literally was the guy that followed Lamar exactly. Miller. And they both have similar skills. I think Duke Johnson's just better than Lamar <laughs> Miller. And that's saying a lot because Lamar well, Miller is a well, really good player. Well, and when they traded for Lamar Miller, at that same time when Deontay was high, everybody knew it's like a running back by committee situation yeah. in the NFL and the devaluation. And then Deontay pre-injury was really opening up everybody's eyes and looked great that preseason. And it took until that injury because I remember even against the Patriots seeing him split out in the slot and bust in like 50-yard slants. I was like, man, if he can do this, it's going to work out. But then the injury, when it fell, and then the way you can get automated production to where if you maybe don't come back as hard or do not come back and try as hard in the rehab or if the rehab affects you mentally, whatever happened in between the two, or if you just aren't back Mm -hmm. to full speed now, he got lucky that he got to sever ties so quick because, like you said, they didn't even plan on this yet. Still, they, they could have lingered, and he could have just meandered around in a purgatory and been cut later, which would have maybe not been as been beneficial. Because there are a lot of running backs on the market. So right after now, the him landing somewhere, yeah. if he can land there and be just put in, and we've seen the way the Colts will literally put four different running backs in. Like they'll use a committee, but he can also take a lot of touches away immediately. Yeah, just a weird preseason rod for some of the Texan mm-hmm. uh, Texas products in the NFL. You got. Puna Ford having a great camp out in Seattle. Charles Aminu having a great camp with Houston. And then you juxtapose that with Deontay Foreman getting released and picked up. And then Chris Warren gets released. Uh, basically, the Raiders said he was too fat. They asked him to lose weight. He didn't lose weight. And they, they cut him. And then Holton Hill suspended for half the season. So, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. The Chris Warren thing is just weird. I can't. Yeah. yeah well, it was you know Gruden's what? fault for giving him yeah, the job in the first say, place. No, it was their fault because they encouraged him to be a bigger back. Well, yeah, and that, all I mean, that's what they loved. They celebrated yeah, it last they did. Last year, this yeah. time they celebrated Rod, and said you know, it's what he wanted. You know my now theories. Gruden's changed. You know my theories on John Gruden. Everybody's like, oh, he's changed. Yeah. He's changed. He's changed. Yeah. Nah, I don't think he's changed. No, I agree. I think you're about 90% of the public's with you, too. Yeah, I think it's a fraud. I don't know many that believe So, what is not a fraud, Rod? And this is where I want to start with the Texas talk as far as camp goes is the speed and athleticism on this defense now they've only had two practices in shorts two in shells full pad start on Wednesday 
But, Rod, you, you get to go out to practice and just watch these guys run around, and it doesn't take you long to realize, holy Chicago, I'm seeing the kind of speed and athleticism mm-hmm. at every level of this defense mm-hmm. I haven't seen in a really long time. And let's start in a secondary where we know the secondary can run. And I'll tell you what, you know, what speaks to the talented depth in this program now is when I watch, I'm watching the safety group go through ball skills drills, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, man, Chris Adamora and Tyler Owens, like in any other year, you'd say, oh, those freshmen are going to play. They're going to crack the two deep at some point. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to get on the field other than special teams because that safety group is just so damn deep and so damn talented. And you can say the same for corner. And, Rod, one of the big position battles is going to be who's going to start at corner. And a lot of people were kind of caught off guard by the fact that Deshaun Jameson opens up camp at corner opposite of Jalen Green, not Anthony Cook. And my take on it is this. I think if you're still in the boat of thinking, ah, well, Anthony Cook suspended for the first half of a lot of tech game. This is just them getting Deshaun Jameson ready. They got 25 camp practices. They had time to get Deshaun Jameson ready if that was the case. For him to open up camp as a starter rod, this is more than just, ah, we're going to prepare for Anthony Cook to have a first-half suspension. Uh, I agree with you. Um, they obviously like Deshaun Jameson a whole lot. I don't know competition-wise if what they have documented to already put Deshaun Jameson in that starting role other than the, the, the priority that game number one, Anthony Cook's not going to play no matter if he wins that job or not. For the first half. For the first half. You know what I mean? So, I think, honestly, I do think that's the reason he starts off. I think that's the the priority. He's like, well, we lost the last two games, all right, the first games of the season the last two years, right? You mm-hmm. lost both of them. Right now, you need to make Louisiana Tech your top priority. I think they came out with that with that mentality. Like, though, we know either Kobe Boyce or – uh, Deshaun James is going to be starting at one corner. We know that because Anthony Cook can't start at that corner for the right. first half. Right. So why would we treat Anthony Cook as the starter? Why would we do ourselves that kind of disservice? That's irresponsible. And it he'll is. still be getting rest. It's irresponsible because you know they're coming after that corner because they know that Anthony Cook is suspended, and they've been following it. They were like, well, I think Anthony Cook's going to end up winning that job. And right now, you know, Jalen Green and Anthony Cook, Based on spring and everything, everybody was like, oh, you know, they're going to end up starting. To me, the reason that they've done it, and I know, you know, there's a, a J- Deshaun Jameson is competing for that spot. I understand that, and that has been said. But the coach is going to always say everybody's competing. Usually that is the case. You know what I mean? Everybody's competing all the time. Mm-hmm. All right, except for Sam Ellinger and Kendrick Coburn. Last year, Kate Sam Ellinger was still competing. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just the way it is. Hell, right now, Jalen Hurts is competing if you're at Lincoln Rally, all right, for the mm-hmm. quarterback job. Yeah. So, for me, I do think that's the reason, man, because Louisiana Tech, they do not want to be taken by surprise again. They, I think that is the reason. Like, no, no, we know that guy's not going to start. Let's get Deshaun Jameson right now or Kobe Boyce. But right now it's Deshaun Jameson because I think they know Kobe Boyce I, is I think that's- on a level lower than the rest of those three guys. Let's get him ready right now for a starting job. Get him thinking like a starting corner. Let's get him taking reps like a starting corner. Let's get his baseline up to a starting corner level. Let's not even have him thinking like he's a backup. That's playing in that role. And then he'll mm-hmm. be shaky. He'll be scared. He won't have any confidence. Empower. Let's treat him like a starter. Empower him. Let's start to make him understand, no, 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 no. You do have the responsibility of being a starting corner now. And maybe he blossoms into being better than Anthony Cook. Maybe so. And then he wins that job outright. But right now, he is going to be your starting right. corner. 80% I, chance. I agree that that's, that's, part, that's part of the, the reason. I don't think it's the reason. I didn't I say it was I the, I don't think it's the reason either, but I definitely think it's a big part of it. How it's much It's situational. We don't know. Texas yeah, is in this situation. Got, you, you can't ignore that. You can't. And I mean, that's especially the, and with Maryland. And there's no, the and there's no documented evidence other than that 
to say, okay, Deshaun James is starting corner over well, here. You know what I mean? Like talk, from everything that was been reported before that, Anthony Cook was the leader in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Talking to people behind the scenes, uh, and Tom Herman said a little bit about this at Big 12 Media Days, but I think it goes deeper talking to people behind the scenes. This staff loves Deshaun Jameson as a competitor and ride that confidence, that corners mentality. He's got that. Tom Herman even said at Big 12 Media Days, like, look, he's got some dog in him and talked about mm-hmm. there was one spring scrimmage where Malcolm Epps is just eating him alive, and you've got Deshaun Jameson at you know 5'10 against Malcolm Epps at 6'6, and he's just, I mean, just mossing him all scrimmage. And yeah. Tom Herman says he goes up to Deshaun Jameson middle scrimmage. It's like, hey, you 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 gonna be all right? And Deshaun Jameson's response was like, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the deal. I mean, I'm gonna win some, I'm gonna lose some, but it was part of the job. And Tom mm-hmm. Herman's like, yeah, you damn right, it's part of the job. Yeah, it's a, it's a good mentality to have. I think they really like Deshaun Jameson. I do think though, outside of that rod, you know, Anthony Cook. Not to say he's been habitually hurt because that would be incorrect, but. I think he had he's had a hamstring issue before. He had a hamstring issue in the spring. I think that's when we started to hear about, hey, don't sleep on Deshaun Jameson getting some serious run at corner. So I think it's a little bit of all things, but you make an interesting point, and, and I think you look at it like this. Taking Louisiana Tech seriously, I know that's been a priority for them this summer. Mm-hmm. Like, look, do not it look past be. that first mm-hmm. game. I think when you look at last year, and this is where I, this is where I think, to your point about it being – you know, part of the problem, get him ready for that game. Because I think you still got time to get him ready, and I think corner's different than the position I'm going to mention. But I think when you look back at linebacker last year, I think they waited too long to really figure out what they were going to do with Anthony Wheeler out for that first half. I remember that. And then keep in mind, the pinch they got into was in that first half. Yeah. Gary Johnson got ejected for targeting. So I think at that point, they had no good ideas yeah. on what to go. Basically, that's a good point. I remember that in the first quarter of the opener, like, you're already at worst case scenario. Yeah, I forgot about that. At what Todd Orlando says are the two most important positions in his defense. Well, and I mean, we've seen other games where situations where now with these targeting penalties or suspensions, it was a different situation. But Okie State, the whole game was changed because of one quarter and how you can let everything go away mm-hmm. with one person being out. And just looking at the situation being that. Louisiana Tech such a big game to open and you look at the depth and the way that Texas has been able to recruit that position I think overall even with the new red shirt rules the way that you bring it in it's such a luxury for Texas already weaponizes these DBs has more depth at DB than almost any other school definitely top tier mm-hmm. depth and yeah. then if you're recruiting more like Jeff opened the show saying there are two guys that any other year as freshmen would be on the field but right now may not see the field these type of situations you're one hit away We've seen these type of suspensions, and if you already are being a physical defense that's going to be hitting, you know that the casualty of that, even sometimes it isn't your fault, you can get a quick ejection and get somebody out of the game. So not only do you have these guys that have the ability or you're empowering, no, don't think of it as a starter. We almost need to devalue a depth chart in modern football because it's about the amount of snaps that you're getting out there on the field. And if all these guys know that they can go get in some high-leverage snaps that matter and make plays, that's what you want to do as a young player. So all these young guys may be, have that opportunity to be even amplified that first weekend or the, just that first half of the first weekend, and who knows what happens after that. Ideally, we would like for Texas to be in a situation where, oh, you got to figure out who your starting corner is out of three different guys. And yeah. I, I think you made a good point about Anthony Cook's kind of injury, you know, injury past or mm-hmm. you know, injury issues that he's had. You know, maybe the coaches are like, well, we want to see him battle something. You know what I mean? Like, injuries are outside of his control, but let's see if he can battle 
his way up to the depth chart when there's a guy ahead of him. Yeah. And literally just make it obvious, I'm making more plays, I'm a better player. And I, you know, may, sometimes coaches do that to challenge players. Like, no, no, let's see mm-hmm. if he can win this job. You know what I mean? And let's see how Deshaun Jameson responds to us empowering him and not, you know, giving him the job, but, uh, you know, basically giving him an opportunity to be a starter, you know what I mean, or to at least play with the number one defense and how he responds. So, you know, ever, like you said, it's a long camp. You never know what coaches are doing, what they're, what they're, you know, they're they're always experimenting with, and they should be. They should be experimenting. This is the time to do it. Like, mm-hmm. who can play that role? Can he do that? Let's do it now. You know what I mean? Throw it like, all against the wall now. Because this is it's when only you, time yeah. you can. Yeah. Just like the first, the first practice. You know, it's a shorts practice, first day of camp, and they go out for pursuit drill and the second defense. For some reason, they had twelve guys on the field for pursuit drill. I still, still trying to figure that out. Do they do only two groups? They do four. Okay, so sometimes I was like, sometimes they just like try to crowd a group. They're like, well, they do three. It's, th- it's three, and then four is like, okay, whoever hadn't gone yet. Because I remember, yeah, I mean, sometimes yeah. I, back in the day when I was a freshman, <laughs> yeah, there's like, like twenty the, guys, it'd be, in like, that like, group. It'd be like three corners yeah. out there. I'm like, damn, coach, this is like that would be cool yeah. if like you started they're to like, just work play. Technique, work technique, I want to see the first D or D coordinator that's <laughs> yeah, just like, so, no, we're gonna go eleven on twelve. We're gonna always so, have the offense. Have but you know, Demarion Overshow lines up basically like the B backer would, and I'm just watching that thinking, I know somebody's gonna leave this practice and report. Marvion Overshone's working to be backer when well, we have no idea what the hell Todd Orlando's doing. Now we're no. hearing, you know, there's one there was one practice rod where it sounds like he's experimenting with kind of that quarters package, you know, trying to put mm-hmm. seven defensive I've heard, backs. I've, I've heard that. But and that's I hope that's, I hope that's true. That's that's yes. what that's what be true. that's what this early part of camp is all about when you're still because I agree with that. You you weren't even man. You're in you're in helmets and shells. I mean, that's really so all you can, can do, anyway. do is experiment. Exactly. You know, um, <laughs> but because spring, Rod, you and you know this as a player, and I've covered this long it's enough. No, you, the most of your depth chart's going to be set coming out of spring ball because mm-hmm. that's when you just get the nitty gritty scrimmages going because you don't have a game to look forward to. Like yeah. the scrimmage on Saturday is your game. So I think for the most part, with the exception of you know, there's always give or take three or five position battles that you say, okay, we still don't know who our Mac linebacker is going to be. Yeah. We still have these three corners we like, whatever mm-hmm. the case is. But I think for the most part, your depth chart's pretty much set coming out of spring ball, depending on unless something just goes off the rails. Uh, yeah, the you know, there's certain positions that they're battling it out. Camp is all about really settling those position battles and really installing. And if guys are falling by the wayside more often than not, because you know, I think at this point the staff's got a pretty good idea of who's going to be physical and who's not. It's who can handle, you know, if we want to run this package with this personnel mm-hmm. group, can this personnel group handle running this package? Like, let's just see yeah. what this looks like. Because once you get into full pads, then you're going to have a little mixture of everything we just talked about. And then probably a week and a half out, then you've got to go get ready to go in a football game. Yeah, no, I agree. It'll so. be, uh, it, you continue to separate. I, I would say that I think the early part of camp, you got probably six position battles you're trying to figure out. We just talked about corner. You got that right. We want to run them down real guard, quick. Right guard and right tackle. Yeah. All you know is you got Shackle for that center and you got Cosme, Cosme left, left tackle. tackle. Yeah. You don't really know about Braun yet because, you know, I'm here and he's still got to adjust to the passing, you know, pass blocking. Well, I'll, t- and I'll tell you what, up, though. Yeah, it's go- that's go- a run blocking, I'm sure he's going to be a beast, but pass blocking is what he's going to be doing half the time. It's just funny when I hear Braun, I don't think of that guy's face. Sun- <laughs> Sunday's, Sunday's <laughs> practice, I watched pretty much the offensive line pretty much the whole time because skill guys are working like ball, like ball security drills. I'm like, yeah. That mm. bores bores me. I don't want to watch that. So I watch the O line. Yeah, and watching ball security. Watching watch really watch like, Parker. It's perfect coaching. <laughs> watching Parker Braun go through.
through like just footwork drills and herb hand again just has everybody basically doing the same kind of pull techniques and things when they're on the sleds mm-hmm. and just watching his effort level his energy level uh you know everything he does looks like it's just a half step more explosive than everybody else you throw on on that top of that that he's a smart kid the fact that he's mm-hmm. a proven commodity coming from Georgia Tech yeah it's only a matter of time before he gets into that starting lineup at left guard. Sounds like he's. One I don't of think anybody needs to worry to... about him opening because Calvin Anderson opened camp last year with the third team. I don't think anybody needs to worry about where he's at in the depth chart. Yeah. Right now. there's just and I know the red shirt thing is still out there with him, Rod. But I there's there's too mu- there's too many factors, too much tangible evidence that I've seen, I've heard, I've gathered that leads me to believe he he's going to end up being a starting left guard. Okay. No, I, I, I hope and I project that he would be the starting left guard too. Um, like I said, that's his challenge, you know what I mean, to figure out if he can he can transition to the Big 12 where he's going to be facing, you know, quicker, faster, mm-hmm. lighter defenders, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and they're going to be pass blocking a lot more than he did at Georgia Tech when they would pass um, 10 times a game, whatever the hell it was. Yeah, if, if you look his three. Yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly, seven. I don't know. His three, Paul his, Johnson's finally gone. <laughs> I think I got the number. His three years at Georgia Tech, they threw the ball 405 times. That's 20 fewer attempts than Sam Ellinger had all of last year. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> in his in entire three career. Years, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I think he can – he seems like a high-level offensive lineman. He just needs reps at it. Yeah. And he'll get better. And the thing that helps him, he's bookended by a senior center, a senior center and a freshman All-American left tackle. You know, I mean, even if he's not elite at pass blocking – he should be at least average, and if he's average with those two guys on on the side of him, I think he'll, you know, he can. And Rod, you know this. Play at a competent There's level. enough, especially early. There's enough you can put into your protection schemes that you can help him out a little bit at guard. Oh, no it's doubt. not like he's kind of off by himself on exactly. an island to tackle. You know? Yeah, and I think a lot of the concepts will help him. I think you know the the RPOs will help him. I yeah. think. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the new con with Larry Fedora coming in, they're going to run more RPOs. I think that's something that'll be helping him when he can run block, even if it ends up being a pass. You know, he's he can be run blocking. Because those <laughs> principles are in the option that he came from, that type of idea. Yeah. That I, the passes are built off of almost playing with that leeway of a few yards, right. and then he yeah. drops back to throw. So that's something the RPOs, he may be more familiar than we can Great actually point. give him credit for. Yeah. So I want to go back. We talked about Parker Braun, and I want to talk about the offense, but I want to go back to the defense real quick. Rod, at this point, Anything you've heard, you know, picked up, read, has anything changed your opinion on, on this defense in terms of their ability to overcome inexperience with athleticism, speed, and just overall talent? Um, and, again, we're only through no, four practices. No, no uh, really, and I, I've said I trust Todd Orlando, so I'm, really, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I trust him. I trust mm-hmm. this is the first time that he's gotten a chance to actually recruit or, or actually coach players that he recruited to his system Hasn't had a chance to do that in like I don't know since he was at UConn. Right. Um, so I, I'm interested to see how that's going to work out. But I I trust his vision. Uh, I trust he's going to be able to figure out a way to use all these damn DBs. I don't want to see a lot. I mean, I would like to see him use more defensive backs. You know, I know the, the rumors that he's, he he may be working a quarters package or thinking of one. He should be. I mean, it only makes sense. That's why people are like jumping to that. It's like, well, how many safeties you got? You got five you got to play? Well, they play the and now you may have quick. three corners? Yes. Let's play more DBs. Put Anthony Cook inside. Who gives a damn? You know what I mean? Come up with something creative. And I do. I trust his ability to adapt the defense. I, I've seen him do that before. 
Um, and, you know, I, I think that with Todd Orlando, the biggest issue is going to be for him, honestly, him adapting. Because last year he had the worst third down defense in his career as a defensive coordinator. Right. All right. And that wasn't necessarily due to talent. A lot of that was on him. That was on him either. And a lot, you know, they, had, they did have some missed tackles. They went through a phase where they had a lot of missed tackles, which is mm-hmm. something he also rectified. But that was on him. He he, there were times where he didn't know when to be aggressive and if he should be aggressive enough. I think this year you see one of the most aggressive Todd Orlando defenses you've seen. I know that's crazy considering how inexperienced they are, but I think there's trust in the offense. Well, and there's no and we hesitation. notice in the right. Big 12, we notice in the Big 12 the culture is when you got an offense that you know can score, roll the dice. Just take chances because we know we can we know we can score points to we win. We get it back. We'll get it back. It'll come back to us over time because we need to force more turnovers. And that's what Todd Orlando's defense was really 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 good at that, you know, the first year, 2017, forcing turnovers and then actually hell, they were scoring. That was that time. was almost the opposite approach. It was almost like, look, we don't trust the offense so much that we're going to have to go turn the ball over or get it was, or get a score ourselves it was, it, to go win right. this game. It was kind of that that thing. It was like we the only way that we can win this damn game. We <laughs> got to go win the damn game because our offense is so unpredictably incompetent and inept. I think this year it's kind of like what Oklahoma State was when you know they they were they were scoring. I don't know when they had like um, when they had that defense was it Bill Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Where well, they would just like take 2011, into, I think. Was yeah, the they really led the country, I think, in well, forced turnovers. I want to say there was something like, like, plus, like plus 40, plus 40 something. In and, and I don't think they're going to. I'm not well, saying they're going to have that much, but I think they can end up leading the Big 12 in forced turnovers just because they're going to roll the dice a ton because they know they got a quarterback that takes care of the football and they got an offense that can score in a lot of different ways. Was it Muschamp's defense in 09, Matt? Weren't they something like plus 26 or I'll something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 09 defense was like that. Because they had Cody running back. When you got a quarterback <laughs> like this, like, dude, no, just roll the dice. Who cares? I think they had something like 39 takeaways or something. something it was something stupid. crazy. That 2009 defense was legit. Yeah, it was, it was a yeah. freak. But you're talking about you know Orlando and not only being a guy that he finally has pieces, but also when you look at the – what the rest of the Big 12 will be going against. The other defense, Texas's personnel on defense is so much above everybody else in I the conference. I agree with you on that. So from what yeah. your baseline of familiarity of defense to then when you play Texas is going to be a lot different inside this conference. Speed, Yes, too, 100%. Yeah. Would... And then counter it real quick with just the idea of this quarters or if you're playing a nickel. I mean – we're talking about some most time you're going to have a lot of empties. You're going to have five skill guys out there and an athletic quarterback. So you're saying there are five skill players that are going to be able to catch balls and an athletic quarterback that can run. It seems like to me the base should only be six or seven DBs because those are the only type of players that can even keep up with five outside or four yeah. with a running back with a dual threat quarterback to where if you're putting – just five DBs out there. You're physical. You better have a linebacker like Gary Johnson because that they're going to be manipulated because that, yep. your baseline should be six, and you want to have maybe an athletic advantage. Hybrid. You want to have high, well, a couple of hybrids or out there. you want to have more yeah. athleticism than your opponent, and yep. the only way to do that is quarters versus six, and you have to have five offensive linemen out there. It's just a necessity of the rules. The defense has that advantage. You aren't restricted to playing a certain amount of skinny guys. Like You can't do that on offense. Yeah, I, w- I would disagree with you, Matt, in terms of saying tech. Texas is, and I, you know, you can correct me if I'm misinterpreting what you said, but just that Texas is that much better than you know the other defense in the Big Twelve because I, I personnel wise, well, talent. But I, I here's well, here's the deal. I, I think in terms of depth, yeah, Texas I think has better talent. But I think if you look at Texas starting eleven and TCU starting eleven, even without L.J. Collier and Ben Banigou, like that TCU secondary is really damn good. 
True. Yeah. Like Jeff Gladney is probably the best corner in the Big 12. Not devalued. And his gains is a really good safety. Yeah. I think Iowa State's front, in terms, in terms, I know they're more experienced than Texas. Yeah. Are they more talented than Texas? If you just line up their starters, put them head-to-head, you can make a case. But you yeah. heard me no, early already but, saying to devalue depth charts or starters because you don't play just 11 players. Right. There's no level of football, right. so that's not an accurate way to look at the situation. If you look at Texas's top-end players, there's more five-star guys. There's more young youth. There's as I mean, nobody else has a DeAndre Coburn out there if we're talking about D-linemen. And then we've seen manufactured ability to just replace with – the top-end talent from this state, which even Iowa State can develop who they want. Though you know those baselines are nowhere near the baselines of guys like yeah. Texas. So it's just that simple. To, we're Texas. You're lucky to have that privilege. No, no, TCU and Iowa State. I think both of you guys make a good point. TCU and Iowa State, they do it differently. It's a developmental model. Um, even T- even Gary Patterson has mocked that's what he the ratings and the stars. He's yep. like, he mocks you. He mocks all that stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. I'll get a, give me that two rated guy. I'll turn him into an NFL prospect. And he does. Your five star guy will go undrafted Texas. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like he kind of spits in the face of that. Iowa State has to do it. They don't have a choice. They don't have a, a fertile recruiting ground to recruit Gary from. That's why him. people love Matt Campbell. We understand. Like, damn, that guy's doing more with less. And John Heacock schematically gives them a defensive advantage. So they're doing a fantastic job there. Um, but I think with Texas, to, to Matt's point, we all know that only Oklahoma can recruit with Texas in this yeah, conference. And we all, hell, even their own defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, has said, hey, man, hey, you need to come here and play because I ain't got no <laughs> talent on my defense. I ain't got no NFL talent. At least that's what he's telling some of his recruits. We have backup so, safeties that could be the yeah, best. Yeah, so getting to Matt's point, there. he is right that, you know, if, if Texas is performing at their best and everybody else is performing at their best, Texas ideally is going to have – the best defenders and the highest level defenders in the Big Twelve. There's a lot of there's a lot of inexperience in that though. And, but I agree mm-hmm. with you about the baseline. If Todd Orlando plays it right, man, Texas can be unlike anything any Big Twelve opponent sees every year uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Like in every game, like they they can provide more speed, schematic advantage with Todd Orlando. The D line is pretty damn deep. You know, the linebacking core is the only thing that has question marks. But the secondary end up being a strength because you got one of the best safety groups in the country. And not a lot of defense in the Big 12 can offer that. And I know Iowa State has their right. four defenders on the preseason all Big 12 team. That's because they've been proven commodities. After this year, it's possible Texas could end up next year having four guys on that list too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? After this year. Yeah, I, here's my here's my concern, Rod. Yeah. I, I just keep going back to the Oklahoma State game and even the West Virginia game last year. Not so much the Tech game, but when you look at – because inexperience, we talked about it. Like, look, Malcolm Roach is not an inexperienced player. Taquan Graham is not an inexperienced player. No, they've been playing like, for a long play, time. Even places where they're air quotes replacing starters, you still got guys that have played some football. And I think we can all agree, Keandre Coburn and even moving, you know, Mora Ojimo, him working some nose early in this camp. Again, like we talked that. about experimenting. Now, it's clear Todd Orlando's thinking, okay, we need a disruptor at that position. Mm-hmm. We, we can have – some guys there that can hold a point and you know let yeah, that can give us run. some reps if we need it. Right, yeah. but you need disruptors. I need a, uh, at that position. Need a war daddy. He wants a war daddy. I just keep going back to the linebacker position, and we talked about this. The difference in the guys they've got now and the guys they've had. You know, Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson had the kind of recovery speed that if they made a mistake or got caught in a wash, or you ran misdirection, they've still got the recovery speed to go run it down. Amen. And these guys don't have that. When we saw yeah. Mike Gundy and Dana Holgerson both last year, that's really where they attacked Texas with the, mm-hmm. was at the second level. Like Throwing It's like, look, orders. let's not worry about 
And yeah, they you know when you got a guy like Tylen Wallace, you can take your shots down the field and you're going to win. Yeah. You know, a good chunk when of those battles. They move chains with those running backs. That's like really the, yeah. when when they really need to protect the lead yeah. and grind clock and just hey let's just yep. limit their possessions. They went two backs in the backfield. That's what they did. Yep. And Dana, and Dana used the H back, the same same principle. And that's I think if you're that to me is if you're Todd Orlando. How do you protect against that? Because the play callers, the combination of play callers, skill, talent, quarterbacks in this league are too damn good that someone is going to look at your, even if it's your one flaw, and say, I can expose that and here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah. No, okay. They and did that last year. And that's where I have a lot of faith in the DBs being, if Texas really does go with speed over, say, just fitting in a linebacker that may be deficient that then can be exploited, sometimes is worth that risk-reward that you get by getting Agreed. a player that can steal the possessions back. And it really just reminds me of what three-guard looks or just a, a dual backcourt of ball handlers and basketball sort of changed the way that if you used to think it's impossible, they will get just beat up defensively and you have no shot to be able to keep up. But if you hit threes, you outscore them, and it's sort of the same idea that if you already weren't a great run defense, well, then let's replace it with defensive backs, come up with big plays, and then you have the athletic advantage that, yeah, they may get you out front, but we're going to meet you side to side, and it's still going to be a two-yard game the way the good or great Texas defenses of the later Mac era from like 05 to 09, they were so fast on the back end that they were able to do that. Or you had a guy like Drew Kelson almost playing a linebacker position Mm -hmm. on the Reggie Bush. So that's what you really need to have. Except that 07 defense that Mac hated. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Mac did not love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was the one year without the super DBs. Earl Thomas was redshirted. That's a great point. Yeah, that was one year that we did not have a super DB That was the Ryan Palmer, Brandon Foster year. And they were good DBs, but you're right. Oh, they won the TCU game, beat Andy Dalton. Yeah, that was no – you're right. That was was not that That all-time great DB member. It was right after Michael Griffin and Aaron Ross. Right at the rise of Blake Gideon Gideon and Earl Thomas. And then you have Palmer Foster 07. Wow. Aaron Williams right. was a true freshman that next year. Yeah, no, no you're right. I agree with you. As a DB, you remember, mm-hmm. I agree. It was. It was and I'm, we not, I'm not hating on it 07 uh, the know, generation. group, but you're right. Mac, Mac Brown will hate on that 07 team <laughs> enough for you. Yeah. To this day. Like, I just, I've never, I've never heard a coach just as much, and if only Mac knew what was to mm-hmm. come. I've never heard a coach like single out one team, and that team won ten games. It probably should have won. He probably should have won eleven or twelve. But man, he did not like that team at all. Even that version of Cole McCoy, I don't necessarily know if he he loved that version of Cole McCoy. That season opener, that that version of Cole McCoy takes a leap in that off season. Like he gets, he looks bigger in 08. Mm -hmm. He looks stronger. His arm is stronger. Oh, you remember that like that Nebraska game in 07 where they sent John Childs in with that Q package to start moving the ball? Yeah, I agree. That 07, the group was like. Yeah, that was yeah. a weird year, man. That was a weird, was year. A weird year. Yeah, yeah. and open Texas almost lost Arkansas State <laughs> that year. They had an onside kick and almost got it down 21-13, yeah. a chance to tie the game that year. Yeah, speaking of those freshman DBs, Curtis Brown's the guy who recovered the onside kick. Curtis oh, yeah? Brown, yeah. Steelers, right? Drafted by the Steelers. Third yeah, round? Brandon yeah. Foster's a Colt. Yeah, Brandon Foster was he undrafted free agent? Right? Yeah, probably. He ran yeah, like he was four, like five. He, he ran like a four three though. I want to yeah. say this pro day. It was something freakish. Honestly, is he the only DB like shorter than you from that era? That I can think uh, of. Ryan From the Palmer is in there too. Ryan Palmer was pretty sure. And Quandre, yeah. of course. Well, but not Eric, that era. Yeah. 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 You're right. The Mac era. And Matt Ahmad Brooks. Ahmad Brooks. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Well, sorry, short, Brooks. The short DBs at DBU to get more yeah. love, man. Yeah, I'm sorry <laughs> doing that. DBs that were under six. Rod, you, you're, you're not. Beast. No, Rod. You're, Earl is. Earl's like five. Earl's five, Reed, five, like he's, yeah. he's right, five ten. Rod, man. you were listed yeah. on the roster at 5'11, so you're not a short DB. I know, but I got some combine five eight three quarters. So yeah, they maybe look. 
like a liar. I was like, I didn't write the programs. <laughs> They're like, you lied on your program. I was like, Roy I Williams lie. was 6'5". He retired 6'2". Exactly. You know, you know like, what you should do? Me. You know what you should do? You should take the signing bonus breakdown from the draft and you take it to John Bianco and look, here's how much money you cost me. You did. You guys cost me a round. Easily. Those three inches cost me a round. No doubt about it. Easily. Well, hopefully in your life today, Rod, the three inches is not making that much of a difference. Dennis uh, Weathersby was like doing. six foot two. That's why they drafted him ahead of me. He was in a hospital bed after he got well, shot. That's the shot guy. I was like, why do I know that name? That's the guy. That's that the guy. Because he's like uh, six two. We're going to take Babers or we're going to take Weathersby. Weathersby got shot. He's six two. We'll take him. We'll take him, Babers. <laughs> Babers kid's a midget. Flesh wound. All right. Look at this Babers kid lying on his height. I can't trust him. Oh man! Anyway, but you know, bad. as as we shift over, you know, I, I one last quick note on the defense. You know, looking ahead of that LSU game, I think that's when we'll really see the athleticism of this group. I, I have no idea. Again, we don't know what LSU is going to do. Ooh, I've been doing a deep and, dive on on it, and, and, and we can, you know, we we'll, we got plenty of time to get into yeah, that. But I, I think fun. that's when I think you'll really see the athleticism of this Texas defense because I think for the most part they'll be able to match LSU athlete for. They athlete. will. That's not see, that's not even the question. The question will be. It's, it's Todd Orlando. It's dude, it's going to be the greatest. It's going to be really the biggest test for Todd Orlando <laughs> we've seen. Let's not, let's not go too so. deep into this. I wanna, we're not. I we're not, but I'll tell you why. It's going to be the biggest test for him um, because he has no idea what the hell they're going to do. Yeah. And they could come out because he's, he's a – Real he's good a, or real bad on both ends. Exactly. He's a Sean Payton disciple, so he can come out like Sean Payton in the Saints mm-hmm. and try to score – you know, they scored 13, I think 13 touchdowns from like 13 different formations in the <laughs> NFL personal groupings actually, which was the most in the NFL. And he also is a uh, Joe Moorhead disciple, which he loves to run the RPO. But also, that guy runs 98% of his plays out of 11 personnel. Totally different. He's basically just McVay. kind of McVeigh, right? So if you're Tarlando, you got to try to plan. You got to plan on the fly for both of those. And on top of that, they got Joe Burrow, who's a dual threat quarterback. Todd Orlando, one of the things that's really hurt his defense over time, always dual threat quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And they said, man, we're gonna RPO it, speed it up. He said, we're gonna. He said, we, we're teaching position. I'm Joe Brady. I'm just quoting him, paraphrasing anyway. We're teaching positionless football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, we're not teaching. He said, we're not teaching positions anymore. We're teaching routes. Concepts, that's it. So everybody can play everything, dude. It's going. I'm telling you, and and that's it. That's his big. That's his big show too. Joe Brady's a guy that's skyrocketing through the ranks right now. Of the coaching profession. You think Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and all those guys were on the fast track? This guy's on the fast track. He's only had like two stops, and he's 29 years old. And he's already mm-hmm. basically going to be LSU's offensive coordinator. I guarantee you, in the next two years, if he doesn't lead, take some kind of NFL offensive coordinator job. So. He is going to use this because everybody in the This NFL, is a resume game for him. Everybody loves Todd Orlando in the NFL. Mike yeah. Mayock, they love him because they love his schemes. They say they're very, very uh, close to what the NFL would do against these hybridized offenses. So Joe Brady's going to try to light him up. Yeah. And if he does, then dra- his stock is going to drop. And if Joe Brady, uh, if he you know gets dominated by Todd Orlando, which we know can happen because Todd Orlando can have a great scheme like he did versus Georgia, like he did versus uh, M- Missouri in that Texas Bowl, then Joe Brady's stock is going to drop. This is mm-hmm. this is a this is a tipping point for both of their careers. It's going to be. I, really, I, I really get what you're saying. Now, I got a couple things on this. I think one, this is a no lose situation for Joe Brady because if he's good, he's going to get all the credit for LSU's offense right. finally being and, explosive. And if not, yeah, it's if what not, we've always been, and we're then it's to get it's Ed Ogeron and Steve Ensminger still stuck in you know are playing archaic football. That's true because he's not calling and, the plays. Yeah. Right. It's just his offense basically. So he already has <laughs> right. built in, and that's why because yeah. I think at the end of the day, I think Ed Ogeron Ron and Steve Hensminger, are, they still are who they are in terms of what they value mm-hmm. in terms of offensive football. I believe it when I see it. I appreciate your deep dive, Rod, and I, I agree with you. No, it's going to be and, good. And I've talked to LSU people, and they're high on Joe Brady, and they think 
They think, think Ed Orgeron yeah. is all in on this. He says he is. No, I, I, I've actually I believe, heard. I believe it when I see it. I agree. He says he's all in. This past year, I've heard Ed Orgeron be blown away by some analysts. Like he couldn't believe the type of work that was being done when LSU hired these people. Right? Like it. It sounds like a guy that's like, oh wow, I didn't even know this world existed. And like he's actually allowed the reins, and understandably so, because he saw what happened. He had always been an interim guy, and he'd always yep. been that D tackle coach. He's a D line coach, and that's what you are but you fit at home and he wants to be at home and he knows the only I mean they ran out their favoritist I mean they loved Les Miles the cartoon character more than anything now they have an even bigger one and a guy if he's actually evolving to change because he loves that region in that area mm-hmm. that'd be big for him in his career and right now the line also had moved I had seen that Texas now only a two-point underdog plus two yeah, I just uh, I I'm looking forward to the chess match, Rod. But be a I'll, great chess match. I'll be, I'll believe it. I believe it when I see it. Amen. Um, you know, Rod, we often say that you're the greatest number twenty one that ever played at the University of Texas on the gridiron. Because if Grace, if Grace Wendell heard heard that, he would slap me. No, no, for football. But football. Yes, football. we're talking football, football only. Football only. Uh, and sure. and sorry, Jason Klotz, but you, there's no you have no argument. Um, nah. but Rod. I, I, th- I think in the next three to four years you're you're gonna get replaced. I've said that numerous times. I've, and I've said that on Man, this show. And I've said it on my show. You can I think only you proclaimed it first. I am the first one. To you, you can it, so only I, yeah. you can only take so much. Or is this going back to our Duke Thomas debates from a few years ago? No, no, no I never said that. No, about that Duke was Thomas. that was my I, that was my ill attempt for some Duke Thomas. I know, I've never said that about Duke Thomas, even though I'm not hating on Duke Thomas. No. Never <laughs> said that about him. Never. Our spirited Duke Thomas debates. Wasn't back he in, in the that day. other league? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, nice. I thought he's now. Yeah. Oh, right now. Nice. Getting yeah. another shot. Jerry Gray hooking up horns. That's right. So, <laughs> Rod, I, and I know you can only take so much from practices, one in shells and one in shorts, mm-hmm. but man, and we only get a limited window to watch. But man, you you look just at Jordan Whittington physically. Yeah. And you know the skill sets there, and watching him just look so dang natural running the football. I I think two things about Jordan Whittington. One, I I think he's going to be a forty catch running back this year. There you I, go. I just think that skill set's so diverse. Yeah. And for I all the time, ta- all, and I've got an article on this on the site that just shows kind of the history of Tom Herman, uh, Tim Beck, Larry Fedora, and Andre Coleman in terms of their ability as offensive coordinators to get get the running backs involved mm-hmm. in the past game. Each one of those guys has had at least one 20-catch running back. Herman and Larry Fedora have both had 40-catch running backs Yeah, in their times as head coaches. Oh, yeah, Duke Catalan was Duke Catalan and then Giovanni Bernard for Larry Fedora yeah. had like 47 mm-hmm. catches, I think, his last yeah. year there. I say that to say this, for all that we talked about, how are they going to replace Lil Jordan Humphrey? And I think all three of us have been in unanimous agreement with what Tom Herman has come out and said that the presence is what they're going to have a difficult time replacing because you mm-hmm. just can't replicate that because he's a unicorn. But they are going to find a way. They are confident they will make up for the production. Yep. And for all the time that we've been talking about the tight ends and who's going to line up at that H receiver, I think, Rod, this staff is coming to the realization where man, push comes to shove, we can just line up in 20 personnel and be so damn diverse that we're just going to be able to move the ball, create explosive plays, and do whatever we want in a worst-case scenario out of 20 personnel because these two backs with Keontae Ingram and Jordan Whittington, they're just that damn good. Or 21 personnel. Uh, I mean, it's the personnel package obviously is not the formation. You can come out in 20 personnel, 21 personnel. Right. And I Whittington that, defies it. I he prefer the 20 personnel know. with the shotgun split back. I think – with man, I think with Sam Ellinger that could be deadly. You know, what I mean, it really can. When you go twenty-one or twenty, you want to spread them out three wide receivers. I and and we saw this. Remember, 
um, I think it's the last drive in the first half of the spring game. If you guys want to go back and look at it, I'm trying to picture it. And Texas comes out in 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. Cade Brewer's a tight end. The two backs were Keontae Ingram and Jordan Williams. It's the only time mm. they did it in the spring game. And they only gave us, honestly, I think three snaps of it. And it was amazing. <laughs> the first, uh, I think the first play, uh, they they end up with, I think it's a it's a pass, a short pass to Jordan Whittington out of the backfield, to your point, making Jordan Whittington a part of the passing game. And this, the, the, the third play, I think it was third and it's like third and eight, if I'm not mistaken, ends up being like a 20-something yard pickup by Devin DuVernay in the slot, mind you, where he's working a lot right now. Mm-hmm. But what they did was they came out with, um, I think it was, it was it came out in, in two by two, right? Uh, uh, twins on both sides with Jordan, Win- oh, Keontae Ingram in the backfield. Motion Keontae Ingram out to make trips empty formation and they had Devin Duvernay lined up inside and I believe he ends up running kind of a pick route Mm -hmm. and picking off the DB and running a crosser and boom they hit him and he's wide open for a big game and to me I looked and I said it first reminded me of the Patriots and what they did Mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl when they came out 22 personnel and went empty and scored the only touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Rams but I think that's I agree with you, Jeff. That's where they ultimately. That's one of the things they want to. One of the things they want to be able to do to threaten the defense is go. You know what? Let's just go twenty-one personnel, twenty personnel. These two backs are so versatile. They both can catch at least forty passes. Keontae Ingram caught what twenty-seven, 27 last year. Yeah. And let's let's split them out. If they end up on a linebacker of any kind, we got a matchup that we love. If they're not doubling Colin Johnson. We got a matchup that we well, love. And you illustrated if Devin it. Duvernay's in the slot against a linebacker or a safety, we got a matchup that you love. And it's all based on Sam figuring out which matchup you like best. And then the motion, I mean, you illustrated it perfectly there whenever describing how it works so well with the player. When, I mean, starting with those two guys in the backfield, the idea to quickly be able to motion out so it can be a quick identifier yep. of everything of the defense. And at that point, it all depends on your opponent. In one week, you may be playing a team that has a bad safety. One week, exactly. So whatever is seen on tape isn't what you're going to do. And no. it's where it gets in that murky area based. where then the defense thinks they know what you're going to do. And then, no, they're no. doing this because this week, now they like being able to send Duvernay back to the other yeah. side. And now you literally, with Whittington being a piece that can line up or say you have line uh, wide receivers like Duvernay who can go from the slot back to the outside, or you have a running back that can go to play either of those receiver ones, mm. you literally oh, have man. all combinations with it's the amazing. two running backs back there See, and then you can always motion it into two backs and pull one of those guys that's yeah. a db back into the box and then you run on them to yeah. where it's a perfect way to if you yeah. can and that's why you joe brady 21 10 to 10 personnel to and that's why joe brady wants to have five of those guys exactly and that's why brady knows what he's talking he about he's and talking sees about. Those, but he also probably sees what texas has on that offensive end he's like oh we need some Whittingtons. yeah it's, it ain't yeah. that, it ain't it ain't rocket science, no, man. No. It's pretty simple. Yeah, the game is is becoming more just about finding hybrids. I mean, we talked about it on defense, yeah. but man, on offense, if you can get you an Alvin Kamara, a Christian McCaffrey, one of those type guys, man, it just makes you. You make sure it makes you it makes you multi not not only multi dimensional but truly multiple. You can go from down to down and go from like you, you can go from ten personnel to eleven personnel. Mm-hmm. He can basically be from twenty one because you can motion him back. Like you can go twenty one, and then and if then you have a tight end hybrid, it's you can even do it with the, the tight end hybrids. Like yeah. if you have a guy that can split out wide, or you can bump I would, him. I down. would continuously put Colin Johnson mm-hmm. close to either the. 
close to either the like the close to the hash or inside the numbers, mm-hmm. and I would always motion those running backs right outside of, and he'd end up in the slot. Mm-hmm. And then I just, just want to see the defensive backs face. Yeah, I, I think we talked about this. You talk about <laughs> Colin Johnson in the slot, and, and anybody that wants to know what that or looks like, moving him around, just doing something other than lining him up on, on the boundary side of the field outside mm-hmm. the numbers. Go look at the go pull up the the Big Twelve championship game and start go off. watch the first drive. They start off mm-hmm. like that. They start off with him in the slot, mm-hmm. and it's it almost just like just a little boom. smash concept where he yep. gets a safety on a oh. on a little bender, and that that's a matchup. He, I'll he take. missed one. Remember the deep crosser? He was like line. Was it, was it a yeah. was it a, a diamond Dope. for a triangle for him? Yeah, like I a think diamond. so. Or he was the number two on the yeah, inside. And I, I think, think had like a delayed release and hit up the seam, oh. and if Sam hits him, it's a touchdown. It, 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 oh man, it was a beautiful play design. Yeah. You can tell they they were specifically designed, as Matt pointed out, matchup. Base to mm-hmm. go up against that Oklahoma defense, but yep. there was even there was even one play Rod where on the touchdown run on that drive where Kyle Johnson ends up lined up as like an H back, and and now you've got oh. vers- you got versatility and flexibility like a, like a, in like your, a mm-hmm. offset flex tight end. Yeah, oh. like now oh. now you've Dude. got flexibility in your man. You know, I was watching Malcolm Epps though. Package. Malcolm, mm-hmm. imagine Malcolm Epps there. Oh, imagine Malcolm is basically your flex yeah. tight end. You're basically running twenty one personnel, but your tight end ends up being Malcolm Epps. Yeah. And your wide receivers are Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson, and your running backs are Keontae Ingram and Jordan Whittington. And imagine you go empty. But th- <laughs> and think yeah. about, think and you about have this, a linebacker here's, here's safety the deal with this. corner with the same skill set. You know what I mean? You're, you're gonna have you're gonna have very few guys at the skill positions in this offense that by the end of camp can't function at just more than one position. Like, I agree. Like Malcolm yeah. Epps is going to be an X receiver. That's pretty much all he's going to be. But if Colin, if you know you can move Colin Johnson around, and Devin Duvernay by the end of this camp, he'll know Z and he'll know H. That's right. And Brennan Eagles, he knows X, he knows Z. Amen. Jordan Whittington, he's going to know running back, he's going to know a little bit at H, just enough to, to make it a problem. So, like you said, right, you're, I mean, you're – Man. Damn! Damn! What your personnel grouping looks like. Your personnel package can be. You can show. Oh. You can show so many different formations within a drive with, without substituting. Without substituting. Oh, like this oh, is that's the main like thing. Like you think about yep. Brian. Like think you think about what Brian thing. Harson wanted the Texas offense to be. Like this is a, an excuse the language. I can't think of a better term. This is like Brian Harson's wet dream as this it personnel. Is. Yeah. No, no, no. You I know? totally agree. You just he had it. the vision. He just yeah. he hadn't implemented or got yeah. the personnel at the time. Yeah. So I that's that's I that's why I'm really excited about the offense because that's why. That's why he brought in Larry Fedora, and he brought in Andre Coleman, and he wants really badly to bring in David Beatty because he needs a think tank. He needs a people sitting in a mm-hmm. damn room like this, dreaming up concepts. <laughs> and and no, no, because uh, real quick, I know we got to go. Uh, go back to Sean Payton to bring it full circle to Joe Brady and his positionless football. He's trying to teach LSU, the first guy in the NFL to have a research and development department. Yeah. And mm-hmm. R&D, he said, I'm the head of R&D here. I got a group of people. And by the way, Joe Brady was on that staff. He was His job was to basically watch 10 teams in the NFL, top 10 teams that Sean Payton gave him a list for, and to watch the best offenses in college and steal their concepts. <laughs> I'm not making it up. This is actually documented. R&D, rip off and duplicate. Boom. And so that's why, that's why the Saints are what they are, and that offense is what it is. But that's what Texas needs. Dude. Research it. Just have a bunch of people sitting in the room, room stealing plays from Mike Leach and stealing plays from whoever the hell is to pick the offenses you really like and go, man, we're going to Lincoln Riley and I'm going to steal all the really good plays that we like. That they do. And Texas is already doing it. You can see every now and then they do it. But I think it honestly should be 
it should be literally a uh, within a, within the infrastructure of every major program football program in the country, high school, college, or pro. I would have an R and D department, man, for, so I can know how to use Malcolm Epps and know how to use Jordan Whittington and maximize them. You want all the money of Texas? You should have the best should. one. I, I well, said I, I've said this rod about player development, and I think Tom Herman's shown us with the analysts he's hiring yep. to do it with the kind of the R and D as you call it. If I'm a Texas fan. It almost should piss you off because it should make you wonder, like, why the hell wasn't Mac Brown doing this with the resources he had? Well, we why wasn't Why this. wasn't player Why wasn't player de- with, with with the talent yeah, he had at the man. time? Why was it player development where it needed to be? Why wasn't um, Why Why wasn't Why didn't Texas and they did have a schematic advantage with the zone read and went well, away yes, from it for some reason? But you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't want to turn this into a bash Mac podcast, but like the more the more I hear good stuff about Yancey McKnight, it's like. Why the hell just now in 2018, 2019, are we just now talking about Texas being on the cutting edge of player development well, with the weight modernized. room, with nutrition, yeah. with everything? He's just right. I mean, we just modernized. I mean, remember, Mac, Mac from fought his generation. Uh, Mac fought against uh, expanding uh, the uh, the football programs. Remember, he didn't want the big support staffs. He he thought it was going to be a more of a separation between the have and have nots. He originally fought against it, but I think, and he had good intentions, but the you know I think road to hell is paved with them, and I think ultimately <laughs> set Texas back yeah. because he ultimately didn't want it to be you know oh, he gets uh, it he now though well, he gets it now it. oh yeah, yeah. good yeah. for him for getting it yeah, now he knows he's like oh hell no nah. I, I was fighting a losing battle that a little was, bit. I mean he was, yeah. couldn't see the forest for the trees yeah. it was the best offense was in your own backyard and exactly. it was you were from, like, a lot of he was things. a football dinosaur as yeah. everybody really was for that time you can't blame somebody for the environment they grew up in it was yeah. just the game evolved really quick really in did. that 20 years like Max should have been the first one to hire Cliff Kingsbury think about that you know what I mean the fact that Cliff Kingsbury went to A&M that's all you Mac he was in your backyard. Yeah. You should have hired him first. Mac <laughs> was cutting edge. He was the face of modern college football. Listen to Keith Jackson in the championship game. Dabble, talk Sweeney, about- Dabble Sweeney credits his legacy to with Mac taking Brown, a trip man. to Texas and saying, man, they were on the cutting and they edge. Were. It was so progressive. It was so awesome. Those ideas were, were innovative. And uh-huh. he said, I took all that and I, I built Clemson into and, what it is. And whenever Keith <laughs> Jackson during the game is like, these coaches are two guys that do it a totally different way than anybody else. And it was about the empowerment and being yeah. understanding and listening to players, not just yelling at players. But the game really evolved from, like, say, 98 to 05 to what we see now with the spread baby culture and, that and ended then, his career from 06 to 11. And compare that with, with Charlie Strong. I don't, you know, Charlie got to Texas and probably thought, oh, it just needs a fresh coat of paint and realized, oh, there's a lot wrong with this and house. Then, and then, exactly right. And then also was from the old and the, re- football, and the rebuilding project you, you screw up the plumbing and then you just got a bigger mess than you he was created. a defensive yeah. football coach he was old school too That's, yeah. that was part of the problem was and then tom school. herman just came and said you know what we're just gonna tear the whole damn house down and just build it do. just build it from the ground like up. the astros yeah. and yeah, you're right and, and he modernized over. it and it didn't take him very long no and Which it never does with blue bloods if you find the right guy and yep. here that's and the here, lesson here we are and again guys i'm a parting shot this week is this I'm really trying to find ways, like my 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 kind of devil's advocate take on the defense. I'm really trying to find ways to not be so optimistic about this team. But the more you talk to people behind the scenes, the more what my eyes tell me, Rod, yeah. on the practice field, man, it's it's really hard to not think this team is on the verge of getting to where we've all wanted this thing to be for a long time. Now. Yeah, uh, the defense is the growing pain. I think you have growing pains. It won't be a rebuild. Some people are saying, yeah. if it's a rebuild. 
in Texas will have and issues. I, and I don't say one that, that makes me sound like a fanboy reporter, but no, I'm tired oh. of covering tired of covering five and seven and Dude, you no, seven like, and six. You just and, college that football is better when Texas is good. Everybody agrees that even people who hate Texas agrees. It, no, college football is better when Texas is. I good. was in that, I was in that press box in Fort Worth when it was fifty to nothing. That's not fun. Yeah. And you just like drinking bleach just to defend your own self, <laughs> acting as if somehow you're a homer. You were just saying that you were doing everything to prove why this, like, irrationally think this defense is not going to be good. That's the most anti-homer thing a oh. person could have said. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, we'll pick it back up next week. Maybe we'll uh, have further evidence to prove why Rod's status as the uh, the greatest number 21 in the history of Texas football might further be in jeopardy. I know it's over. It's all right. Jordan. I'm going to enjoy it while I can. <laughs> Hopefully it's not a one year. It's not his freshman year when he <laughs> becomes the greatest 21. That would yeah. suck. I'm assuming like it's going to take at least two years for him to get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It's going to be a hell of a freshman year. We can all kind of see it. He'd have to be an All-American. He'd have to be an All-American. And I don't know if he's going to be All-American this freshman year. We can all see that writing on the wall. Matt, thanks for that. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. You can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to like us and leave us a review. And thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, classic shows, all of that on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com.